This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. My house was never cleaner than when I was trying to write my dissertation. Probably other people aren't thinking about you because they're probably thinking about themselves. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we give you practical strategies for dodging distractions and getting back to work. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 158. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. And we're literally back. We are. I don't know. That may, you can't be literally back, but we are back together in the studio for the first time in a long, long time. I don't even remember what the last time we got together was. A long time, Dan. You are sitting right next to me here in the studio. Uh, welcome back. Yeah, I feel a little guilty about it. As we've talked about in, in the last episode, some of our friends in Canada and some other countries are not yet fully vaccinated. They're not back together. But man, for... People of the United States who have gotten both doses of their vaccine, it feels really good. And I don't know about you, Josh, but it took me zero time at all to get used to just being out in the world again. Yeah, it is It is totally great. And I feel like as we're going into summer, we're slowly easing back into the normal life that we had, had before. You know, I feel like if I could just get to the point that my kids could get vaccinated, I would be going crazy out there, Dan. I 100% agree. I still do wear a mask when my kids are going into places, which is rare, obviously. But if they have to wear a mask, I'm going to wear a mask. I get a few odd looks now. Uh, I, I did some traveling this week. I, I traveled through a few states toward Pennsylvania. I went to West Virginia and Virginia. And I definitely got some stares when I went into the hotel or somewhere with a mask on. But we're getting close, and I can't wait. Absolutely. Well, Dan... In celebration and honor of you being back here in the studio uh, in the flesh with me, we have a special beer. This is the Boulevard Brewing, and Boulevard is in Kansas City, Missouri, the Saison Brett, and this is a dry hopped farmhouse ale with Britannomyces. And Dan, this is a big bottle, so I knew the only way we could share this one is to be back together in person, so... I'm glad we can share these uh, big limited release bottles uh, once again, because that's something we couldn't do during COVID. Yeah, and uh, I'm really enjoying this. So you got a Saison, so that's celebratory for me, because you know I've been into the, the Saison recently. Um, you're going to have to tell me about the Britannomyces, because I thought that meant sour beer. I thought that was an indicator. Yeah. Or is that the funky beer? No, you're right. So Britannomyces is a wild yeast and often is associated most recently with sour beers. So I wasn't really sure what to expect from this one. This is a limited release from Boulevard, and it says on the bottle that the Britannomyces uh, imparts an earthy flavor. So I was, you know, I was really curious because this is based on the recipe of Boulevard's probably most popular beer, the Tank 7. And Dan... I don't know if you remember this, but we have had Boulevard Brewing Tank 7 on the show before. I recognize the Boulevard logo, so I assume you're correct. Yep. It was back in episode 8 in August of 2015. You've got to be kidding me. In your basement. 
it was in There's those days. no way. <laughs> so I probably saw it that one day, and then I probably added it to the ethanol map on our website, and that's the last time I thought about it. Yep, that's right. That's right. Well, Dan, so tell me what you think about this. So this is the Tank 7, which is not a sour beer, but now we have this wild yeast, this Britannomyces. What do you think of this one? I have to tell you, the first sip I took the bitterness washed over my tongue. Yes. But subsequently, as I've taken more sips, I don't taste any of that anymore. It's really, it, it is transformed for me, and I don't know why. Um, I get a, almost a cherry flavor out of it, which is odd. Definitely. I mean, it's good. I don't mean it's, it's, it's odd bad tasting. I mean, it's odd because that's the flavor I'm getting out of it. Yeah, and I totally agree with you, Dan. I don't know that I have experienced a beer like this before because I agree that first... That first taste, and also I should mention, you watched me pour this, Dan. So often saisons are bottle fermented, and Dan, we did some bottle fermentation when we used to brew. There was a lot of foam going on. I had to pour very carefully. That happened today. Uh, so this is clearly a bottle fermented uh, beer. Because of that, there was a lot of that foam on top, and the bitterness was pretty significant at the beginning. Almost, I think, with the foam, it reminded me of soap. It was almost a soapy taste. I agree, but yeah. not now. I don't know why. Like now, tastes totally great. So whatever that flavor was was confined to the foam, and <laughs> it's gone. I guess it was. So um, as I mentioned, this is a limited release. This is their 2020. I think they released this saison brett uh, once per year. So if you happen to see this in your local bottle shop, like I saw it in mine here in North Carolina, uh, pick it up, give it a try. It is not cheap, um, but it is a great beer to break out if you are celebrating celebrating something or some time with friends or you just want to treat yourself i would recommend it yeah the cork popped i mean it was it was fun to open and a great one for somebody who maybe doesn't like wine or champagne for that you know you you publish in a new journal or whatever it is whatever whatever celebration you're having this year all right dan i am thankful to have you back in the studio and also thankful for our friends at promega being a scientist is more than just running experiments and analyzing data whether you're giving a presentation at a conference or writing an article on your recent results, Promega can help. Head to the Student Resource Center, check out webinars on scientific writing, and even poster presentations starring you and me. Visit promega.com slash hellophd to learn more. And Josh, as you know, you could spend months learning how to use bioinformatics tools, uh, or you could leverage the BioBox platform to analyze and explore your genomic data without learning how to code. You can experience a platform designed for everybody in the lab. Sign up free at biobox.io. That all sounds great, Dan. Well, why don't we get into our topic of the week? All right, Josh. Well, I was cruising through academic Twitter, as I am known to do occasionally, and I saw an article that we missed way back in kind of the beginning of the pandemic, and it, it's an article in the London School of Economics and Political Science Impact blog, and it was called Five Strategies for Writing in Turbulent Times. And as I read this, uh, it was written by Chris Smith, and uh, as I was reading through it, I was thinking to myself, well, this isn't just about writing. I mean, writing is a big part of what academics do, but this is really about dealing with all of the distractions that that take our attention and keep us from getting our work done. So I thought, why not discuss this blog post and share some of these strategies that uh, Mr. Smith gave us for dealing with these distractions so that we can actually get our work done. And obviously, the impetus for writing this article back in March 30th, 2020, was the unprecedented global pandemic that we were 
we're all living through and trying to focus through. But besides that, I can't really think of a time in my life where there were no distractions whatsoever, even when there wasn't a pandemic going on. So I think these tips of learning how to focus in the midst of disturbances and distractions is really an evergreen topic. Yeah, many of us had some new distractions, I guess, uh, being working from home, there were kids, there were roommates, there were whatever. But uh, you're right, it is a perennial topic. And I'm, I tried to think back a little bit to my graduate school experience. Josh, uh, what were some of the things that that you tried to do in grad school that you kind of wanted to be distracted from or that you got distracted while you were working on them? You know, I can remember one of the trickiest things was when I was finishing up or trying to and working on writing my thesis. And I can really distinctly remember deciding to stay home and not go into lab. And I had the the townhouse to myself and I was going to write, you know, I was going to analyze data, put some figures together and write. And I never had more desire to vacuum the carpet <laughs> or amazing. polish the furniture. Those clothes aren't <laughs> folded. This is going to be amazing. My house was never cleaner than when I was trying to write my dissertation. Uh, but it was so hard to focus this thing that was so important for me to do. And also, I mean, theoretically, this was my ticket out, right? This was my ticket to some to the next step of my career. But despite that, it was just so hard, so hard to focus. So hard to just keep your attention focused on that. I had the same problem with uh, reading journal articles and especially if they were if I didn't print them out if I had them on the screen and I could click over to something else I'm, I'm I get through the introduction I'm like okay well I just I should probably just take five minutes to see what's going on on Twitter or Facebook or something like that um, and it, but it's going to be different for everybody right if you're trying to plan experiments and you keep getting tr- distracted or you're a person who you maybe you don't write in your lab notebook as you're doing the experiment, but you need to do it later in the day or whatever to track the experiments you've done. There are all sorts of topics in lab where your attention will get pulled away and you won't get the work done. And the trouble with that is, like, how much time did you lose on writing your thesis just through distraction? It's a lot. Yeah, I have no no doubt that that, that task and others, if I was working more efficiently could have gotten done much quicker. And, you know, the consequences to that of that lost time is slower graduation. Maybe I would have gotten done or, uh, or, you know, maybe I would have been able to do some other things with my time that also would have been important to me, like spend time with friends or research careers or who knows what else. It adds a ton of stress, doesn't it? It sure does. And, you know, one of the things, and I, I talk to students a lot about this and I, you know, I try to tell myself this too, is it can be very easy to put things off and think, you know what, this is not important right now. I'll get to this later. But the thing I found is all of those things that you don't do that need to be done, you're carrying them all with you in the back of your mind. Everyone, every individual task that goes undone has a little bit of weight that you have to carry. It does. And so the more that we can just get these things off of our plate, get these things out of our mind, um, then we really can more be present in the moment, whether we're talking about important work-related tasks, writing or reading that we need to do, um, or even personal tasks that we want to do, spending time with friends, spending time with family, focusing on a hobby. Uh, If we can get that stress, that weight of things on our plate out of our mind, we're going to be less stressed and better off. Yeah, so you lose the time, you feel more stressed, you might miss deadlines, you might lose whatever great idea you just had because 
you had it in your mind, you got distracted by the PI rushing into the lab and saying 15 things, and then you, you lost that idea. So there are costs to distractions. And, and so what we're going to talk about today is what you can do about it. There's, there's some, some actual steps you can take. And the first thing that the article talks about, and I think this is really related to something that we talk a lot about a lot, Josh, which is he says, keep a distraction diary. And you and I talk about writing down experiences that you've had in lab where you felt like you did a good job or you enjoyed it. And by noting down those experiences that you really enjoyed, you'll have a, a document later that you can go back to and say, oh, the thing that these things have in common is I was working with you know younger students or I was planning an experiment or I was pipetting small amounts of liquid back and forth. Whatever it is, you're going to be able to notice patterns of things you love. Well, if you keep getting distracted over and over, certainly you'll be able to see a pattern in what distracts your attention. Yeah, this is, this is so interesting. I was doing a, a time management workshop for some new students just last week. And this is really similar to one of the things we talked about. And that was gaining a better understanding of how you spend your time. And, and one of the suggestions was for a short period of time, maybe for three or four days or a week, keep a time log. And really almost like you are the Jane Goodall studying yourself you know, how are you spending your time during the day? Really being honest, you know, what are you doing from minute to minute, hour to hour? Um, and I think that's what, what the author is getting at here is we all get distracted, but sometimes I don't think we recognize the impact or extent of those distractions, or we don't necessarily have a good appreciation for where those distractions come from. And it's only once we understand what is causing us distraction and the extent of that distraction? Can we actually do something about it? You're so right. And I love your Jane Goodall uh, analogy because you really are like an anthropologist studying yourself. And what's important about that is that you are not being judgmental about those distractions. So, you know, maybe my distraction is I look at Facebook. I could sit there and say, well, I'm not going to do that next week, so I'm not going to write that down. But that's not the point. The point is that right now in this moment, Facebook is the thing that's distracting me. And, and you've got to have that kind of scientific distance to be honest about what you're observing. And it's not that you're a good or bad person. Everybody has things that distract them. So, so just write them down. So um, these distractions are going to take multiple forms. Some of them will be external so it would be, you know, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, you know, those, those are apps designed to capture your attention. For me, I love to find out what's in the news. Uh, your phone, people that are texting you might be your distraction. Conversations in, you know, if you're in an open lab setting like I was, somebody two bays over having a conversation can be really distracting if you're trying to read a paper. But there can also be these internal distractions. So are you worried about something? Is it a relationship or money or what you're going to have for dinner? Are you feeling things? Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you sad? Do you feel self-doubt? Those are some internal distractions that can take your focus away from whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And I think some of those internal challenges are the important ones where you might experience some self-discovery if you take the time to be intentional of assessing what is pulling you away from the task at hand. Um, where do your thoughts go? When you're sitting down, you're in a quiet place, you're trying to write but you're not actually making any progress. What are you thinking about? And, and writing that down, because th that can slip away, and it can be hard. I think sometimes we protect ourselves from the reality of the things we're worried about or the things that really are um, commanding our thoughts. 
And, and you know, the way to counter some of these, these items might be practical, maybe avoiding coming into lab if it's a busy time and there's people yeah. who distract you. Uh, it might be turning notifications off of your phone if, it's, if that's a distraction for you. Or if it's a certain train of thought that you keep going down that's standing in your way of, of being productive, you know, it might be talking to someone, seeing a counselor, um, sitting down talking with a friend, but only once you've kind of done the work to really get at the reality of what's um, pulling you off track, um, can you really start to implement change that's going to help you move forward. That's so right. And every person is going to have a different list. If you don't have kids and you're not working from home, then kids are not your distraction and you don't need to have a strategy for dealing with it. Uh, if, if you don't have a TikTok account, TikTok is not your distraction. So it's going to be different for each person. And what, what you just alluded to, Josh, is the second step of this process, which is to practice obstacle thinking. So you're going to make a plan about what to do when you're faced with each of these distractions. Maybe you have three things that really pull your attention. And, and what the author says is people often prefer to focus on what they can achieve rather than what stops them. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, oh, what could I do better? But, but really what we're trying to say here is focus on the thing that's preventing you from getting your work done. And when you think about the likely blocks and barriers ahead, you're better placed to navigate them when you meet them. So what he suggests is to brainstorm. If Instagram notifications are your thing, if that's the thing that every time it buzzes, you pick it up like a, you know, Pavlov's dog, you, there's a lot of things you can do and, and you're going to choose a strategy. So you can turn off the notifications. You can leave your phone somewhere. Give the phone to your friend. Turn off the phone. Disable the internet. Uh, I, you know, I know my home internet has a thing where I can like turn it off during certain hours of the day for certain apps or certain uh, websites. You can reserve Instagram usage for a specific time of day. So I'm going to promise myself I want to go through Instagram at 4.30 p.m. or whatever. We'll talk about Pomodoro in a minute. But there, there are 15 things you could probably do to deal with that specific Instagram distraction. And, and you just need a list. You need a, a list of things you could do, and you'll be able to choose from that in the next step. What this makes me think about, Dan, is I think it is a common occurrence for a lot of us living in the world in 2021 that notifications and information flowing in through our device that's in our pocket or on our wrist every waking hour, every waking minute creates a lot of distraction that's constantly right there blinking and begging for our attention, uh, yelling for our attention, really. And I think most of us know, like I know, you know, you're reading off these things we can do. Well, you know what? You could turn off your notifications. You could put your phone in airplane mode. I bet most of our listeners know how to do that. And, and I know how to do that. But I don't always do that. <laughs> even, you know, I think there can still be barriers even once you know what the distractions are and you, at least on an intellectual level, know what the steps are to remedy that. It can still be so hard sometimes for whatever reason to take that leap and shut those distractions off. I think that's right. And and keeping in mind the benefits you hope to achieve. I want to finish my thesis and graduate and get out of here. And the costs. This is making me more stressed. I'm missing deadlines. I'm wasting time that I could be with my friends or exercising or doing the other things I want to do. Um, that gets you to, to step number three, which is uh, what the author describes as get a what-then plan. And a what-then plan is a way to trigger your brain into action so that one activity gets fused to another activity. So for instance... You know, I, I've made my brainstorm about what I'm going to do, and it, and I say, 
when I write, then I'll leave my phone in another room. So I'm, I'm, I'm about to sit down to write. My what then plan says this phone has to be somewhere else. This is what I've committed to myself. This, I, I don't have to turn it into airplane mode. I didn't choose any of that. I chose I'm going to put it in another room. And so I go do it. When my writing time gets co-opted in the morning, then I'll write for 30 minutes in the evening. This thing happened. It was out of my control. But I have this plan now that I'm going to do something in the evening for just 30 minutes. When I feel unfocused and anxious, then I'll take a breather for 15 minutes. So having this plan, and, and what he talks about is really visualizing it. It's, it's saying to yourself, picture yourself in the moment when your PI bursts into the lab and starts asking you questions. Okay, so, so when that happens, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if we can discuss her ideas about whatever it is at lab meeting, which is already scheduled for Thursday, and we can talk about it then because I'm in the middle of reading or I'm in the middle of writing. When I feel, uh, you know, when I get hungry at 10 a.m., which happens every single day, then I'm going to have a bag of trail mix or whatever it is. It, it's, it's planning ahead, looking at my journal, coming up with a brainstorm, and then picking one of these things that when this happens, then I will do this. Yeah, I think that's that's such a great thing to do. But I, I think one additional piece of that, that that I think we have to acknowledge is that to actually see behavioral change, we have to really go through this process a few times, right? This is probably not going to be a one-time, you know what, I'm going to try the, the what-then plan, and I'm going to one-time break this behavioral change where uh, my PI comes in and interrupts me and I say this. Uh, because... I mean, I'm not a neuroscientist, but from the little bit I know of neuroscience, our brains really do lock into these patterns of thought and these patterns of behavior. I know, Dan, for whatever reason, I'm in this habit, this routine of always getting an afternoon coffee right after lunch. And it's amazing uh, what my coworkers joke with me, because if we eat lunch at one o'clock, and I finished lunch about 1.30, 1.45, like, let's go get afternoon coffee. But there have been a couple of times we eat lunch early at 11.30 and finish up about 11.45, 11.50 in the morning. I'm like, all right, time for coffee. Let's go get our <laughs> mid-morning coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, it really has nothing to do with the actual time of day. It's just I'm locked into this behavior. And I remember hearing somewhere that to experience true behavioral change in anything – you have to really stick with an alternate behavior for, I don't remember how long it is, two weeks or three weeks or some amount of time uh, before you actually see it. So I think we really have to, when we're implementing some of these things, really be intentional with ourselves for a few weeks, right? This is not just a one-time thing, and then suddenly we're going to see new behavior. Yeah, but I, I think it's like any kind of mindfulness where you're the victim of it as long as you're not paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. So I get distracted by this, you know, I get distracted by Twitter every day, but it's only because I don't realize it's happening. It, it pulls me and I click on it and it's exciting and then I forgot what it was I was working on. As soon as I've documented that and then I've, I've come up with some ideas and then I say, when I am writing, I can't have Twitter, <laughs> I can't have my Twitter tab open in my browser if I'm a person that browses Twitter on, on the web. Whatever it is. So, so now I'm in, a, I'm in a situation. I'm writing. Twitter can't be open. Because if I see the little notification at the top that there's a new tweet, I'm going to click on it. I, I, you know, I'm like you, Josh. I can't help it. But there's some other things that, that he recommends, uh, one of which I think, Josh, you've done, which is to use constraints. And, and what, the, what he means by this is 
you know, as you get through schooling, you have fewer external structures that help you organize your time. So when you're in kindergarten or anywhere through 12th grade, every minute of your day is planned for you. And you have a little bit more independence as a college student, but in grad school, your time is your time. And if there's going to be a structure, it's going to be you that puts it in. And so we talked a little bit about this with Hugh Kearns a few months ago back in episode 154, how to plan your PhD. But for smaller tasks, you can put these little barriers around what you're trying to do. Um, And one great way to do that is with the Pomodoro technique. Josh, we talked about this in episode 15. But why don't you refresh us on what the Pomodoro technique is if people haven't heard of it? Yeah, sure. So, So the Pomodoro technique really is about the power of focus to get things done. And it turns out that even those of us who think we are amazing multitaskers, um, the reality is that the human brain doesn't necessarily do multiple things at the same time, but we switch back and forth um, to different tasks. And there is a cost, there is a time required for us to refocus. So the Pomodoro technique is about focusing on one thing at a time. Pomodoro comes from the Italian word for tomato. And if you can imagine these little, uh, those little tomato kitchen timers that you, you twist and they are mechanical and they count down um, some amount of time, let's say 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Um, the idea is that f- you set a timer for a short amount of time, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. It's not long. No, it's not long. And you focus on one thing for that period of time, 15 or 20 minutes. So let's say... I need to work on writing my dissertation. That's something I really... Or I need to work on putting this figure two together. So you say, okay, well, for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to do nothing but focus on this figure. I'm going to go to a quiet place. I'm going to turn off my phone. You know, the world's not going to burn down in 20 minutes, hopefully. What you find... And, and I will say to you, You Dan, start the timer. I mean, it's either on your computer or it's a physical yep, timer. You physically There's something start about a timer. That. That's right. You, you start some timer... And you don't do anything else except work on that one task that is important to you, right? And if your phone buzzes? It won't because you don't have it. Oh, I see. Right? Unless it's buzzing because your timer ends, right? Um, And I love the Pomodoro technique. This is one of the few time management techniques that I have personally used that has been really effective for me. Because what I find often happens is I will say, all right, you know, the next 20 minutes I'm going to work on this task. At some point, you do transition over into focused mode uh, from distraction mode. I feel like we all, when we start a task, we're very susceptible to distraction, especially in that first five minutes or so, right? Our brain is just looking for those notifications, looking for that conversation to get involved in. But at some point, we do transition. And so what happens to me more times than not is that timer goes off at 20 minutes and I just keep working. Because I'm in it now, you know I'm I'm on a you've roll changed. at that point. Um, but but even if not, that's fine too. Because you said, all right, 20 minutes. Uh, the other thing that can happen too is I will often be surprised how much I get done in 15 or 20 minutes if I truly have focused on that one task. It's really amazing. Things that you might think are going to take you an hour to do, maybe they take you an hour to do when you're in the midst of your normal distracted state, but when you really are in a quiet place or buckled down or you've eliminated distraction, you're focused for 15 or 20 minutes, that might be all the time you need to get it done. And so I'm a big proponent for the power of focus to get things done. And I think at the end of that 15 or 20 minutes, whatever the Pomodoro timer tells you, 
you reward yourself, don't you? You take some kind of small break to give yourself the that little juice, the little dopamine hit of checking Twitter or whatever it is that you love to do. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So you might actually plan out during the next hour for 15 minutes, I'm going to answer these emails. For the next 15 minutes, I'm going to work on this figure. For the next 15 minutes, I'm going to do this other thing. And then for the last 15 minutes, I'm going to grab my phone and see what's happened in the world of social media or text my friend or whatever it is. Uh, but the point is you're being intentional with your time. You're not just, you use the word mindful, Dan. You're not just letting that time slip away uh, without you having control over what you do. Yeah, and, and so Pomodoro is just one way of putting constraints on these tasks that give your brain uh, just some guide rails, some, some way to stay between the lines uh, so that you know where the end point is. But you can also... You know, I think Hugh Kearns talked about this. You can write a paragraph a day. You know, you're you writing your thesis. I'm going to do this a small piece at a time. Or maybe I've got a, a paper. I'm going to do one figure a day. I'm going to spend 10 minutes twice a day to update my lab notebook. Because that's something that I really get distracted from. I don't want it to be 45 minutes of straight lab notebook. Because my brain can't do that. But 10 minutes twice a day is going to get me further than if I try to go for an hour and I just do nothing, right? Because I, I read Twitter. Yeah, and the reality is spending 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day working on a specific uh, writing, whether it's a lab notebook or a, an upcoming, upcoming paper you want to write, that's better than the zero minutes that, you, <laughs> that exactly. might be the reality, right? Which were, for me, more days off than not. Negative 50 minutes. <laughs> I mean, how many days did I have uh, work on writing this thing on my to-do list, and then I get to the end of the day, and I feel guilty because I didn't do anything, right? But I think I set too big, uh, too intimidating of a goal for myself, right? Like, I'm going to block off, and I've been guilty of this too, Dan. I'm going to block off four hours, tomorrow yeah, afternoon, you are. and yep. I'm going to just get this thing done. But I would have been better off. Right? It's the how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time philosophy, right? If I would have just said, you know what, I'm going to work on this 30 minutes uninterrupted each day, Monday through Friday, I probably would get way more progress than clearing my whole schedule on Friday to say that I'm going to work on it all day. Yeah, I, I'm thinking back to uh, the negative time that I gained <laughs> in grad school. And I think a lot of times I, I would need to be focusing on an experiment be because I wanted to be distracted uh, for various reasons, largely because I was unhappy. But um, I, would, I would be pipetting something or I would be trying to do some, some experiment that I needed to repeat. And that distraction would actually either make me make a mistake or I would switch tubes or something would happen. And now I've actually... I've destroyed time, right? I have that distraction has taken whatever number of hours or days this experiment took. And because I messed it up because I wasn't paying attention, um, had I just focused in on those few moments, I maybe would have gotten a different result. And you know, when you do that, you feel so bad about yourself. You know, you, it, it almost fuels, it's a, it's a negative feedback loop because you get to the end of the, that day and you didn't do what you wanted to do and you wasted that time and then you get down, and then it almost makes. And it, I don't want to do it again. You don't want to do it again. Uh, but you know, I think the opposite can be true too. If you try some of these strategies, and you get some things done, and you try a new technique, and you're you have a more productive day, there's a dopamine hit there, right? That feeling of coming home at the end of the day and realizing, like, you know what? 
I don't have any. I got figure three done. Home. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna just sit and watch Netflix carefree, and it feels a lot different, right? Than if you know there's these things that you're putting off that you're running from by checking your phone or, or watching TV. You're so right. Um, the last tip, number five, and I I really appreciated this one because I think you alluded to it earlier, Josh. Uh, it can really steal your attention, which is accept and park anxious thoughts. So you're doing this focus time and you've shut out all the external distractions. Maybe you've shut off your phone. Your PI is nowhere in sight, but your mind is going to try to introduce these anxieties and worries. You know, I'll never finish on time. This writing is terrible. My PI is going to scream at me. You're pulling in this anxiety or these worries or these, these internal thoughts that are taking away your focus. And it's not because of, it's not anybody else's fault, right? It's just the monologue that's happening in your head. And so what the author talks about here is there are practical worries. There are things you can do something about. There's some action you could do to resolve them. But then there are these hypothetical worries. There, there were the what ifs, things that might not, may or may not happen. My, my PI may or may not be really angry at me. They may or may not scream at me. But there's nothing I can do about that right now. And yet still I feel the stress of those hypothetical scenarios that my brain is conjuring up. And so what he suggests is as these worries arise during your work time, Again, write them down, save them up, and then find some time. Set aside 20 minutes and, and call it your worry time, right? And, and at worry time, you set the timer, your 20-minute Pomodoro <laughs> timer. A worry, a worry Pomodoro. Your worry Pomodoro. It's <laughs> okay. like a rotted tomato. <laughs> uh, but, but during this 20 minutes, go through these worries that you wrote down one by one and ask yourself, is there any practical action that I could do to change this? And if not, cross it off right? Worrying about it is not changing it. And you can't think of anything to fix it. Therefore, it is not worth the time and attention that you're giving to it. Hard, hard to do, easy to say. What do you think, Josh? I think that is hard to do, uh, but I think it's important to do. And so seldom, you know, so seldom do I think we tangibly name the things that we're anxious about, the things, the thoughts that are creeping into our mind. You know, I can remember having a, a friend in grad school, a fellow grad student, who we were having a conversation and and the student was so anxious that this member of her committee thought she was stupid. And, you know, we're having this conversation and it was really getting to her. She thought like this person... Really pulling on her, yeah, her mentally. I know this person thinks I'm stupid. And, and I can remember saying to, to my friend, you know, do you really think that when this faculty member is at home laying their head down on the pillow at night, their thoughts are consumed with, man, you know that grad student in my department? So stupid. So, so stupid. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, of course not. Right? I think so many times we think, uh, especially when anxieties that deal with how we think others think of us, uh, most of the time, not true. I like, I like to take comfort in the fact that I think we are all narcissistic and we're all self-centered. True. And so probably other people aren't thinking about you because they're probably thinking about themselves. That's a, that's a great point. And, and from that practical versus hypothetical, is there anything your friend could have done to make the person think they were not <laughs> stupid? Not really, not except really. getting the work done, right? That's and, right. And the thing that's distracting her from getting the work done is the belief, this, this idea that the faculty member thinks she's stupid. So again, it's, it's just stealing your confidence and your joy and your time. And there's nothing you can do about it. Now, if you are, if you are, have this worry, like 
oh, I need to get this experiment done, there may be some actions you can take. And so having that list, um, don't, don't try to deal with it in the moment that you're writing your dissertation in that, mo- you know, in that one second, but write it down. And when you get to worry time, you'll be able to sort the wheat from the chaff. You'll be able to say, these three things, what's my, what's my next step on them? Because I know I can take action. And these 15 things I can't do anything about. And, and the idea here is writing them down. You're acknowledging that your worries are legitimate, right? You took the time to write it down and to think through it, but you can park it. You can set it aside into some later date so it doesn't disrupt what you're doing to get your actual work done. And so I think having that ability just in, in your little notebook, here's my distractions, here are the things I'm worried about, here are the things that give me joy. It's going to be a long notebook, but I think having those written down is going to be really helpful. Yeah, and I can see this being the precursor to then putting together your to-do list, right? You start to prioritize, well, these are the things that I actually can do something about that are important to me. So I'm going to write down now these tangible items that I can do tomorrow or this week or this month to cross those off my list and get those out of my brain for good. I'm glad it's June because those things for me are always like (laughs) taxes that are due whenever uh, I didn't pay this bill. You know, it's these things that I could do something about, but they just sit in my brain and I don't do them. And then I wait. I don't know. It's that mental overhead. But uh, for graduate students, it could be anything, right? It It could be any aspect of your training or your personal life. But don't let them weigh on you. Write them down and deal with the ones you can and park the ones you can't. So true, Dan. You know, as we've been been talking about this and and when you brought up this article to discuss today, I was thinking about how important it is to to talk about this, dealing with distraction, because I think there's really never been a time in human existence where we've experienced we've been living amongst so many different distractions. We have perfected the art of distraction. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I may have told the story on a, on a previous episode, but a year or two ago, I came to a realization about my current reality uh, versus my past self. Similar to like we're talking about, I was trying to write this grant and I was really struggling with focusing. I was struggling with sitting down, getting the work done. You know, I would do what I just said. I would block off large periods of time, but it wasn't, wasn't helping me make progress. And I was reflecting back on myself as a college student in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it was very common for me to go to a study lounge with my book and my notes and sit there for four hours. And are you familiar with study carols? Is that a thing that they had in the library, those little wooden boxes? Oh, they still have those. They still have those. Isn't that what they're called, study carols? I think so. They're much more fancy now. The ones they installed in our our library, um, they have comfy seats and they have like USB chargers. It needs to be a hard wood chair. (laughs) (laughs) The most uncomfortable thing you've ever seen. They have footstools, like actually see other people. Kids these days. (laughs) But, you know, I I was reflecting back on me – me, my younger me when I was in college. And it was common for me to do this. I could really go and focus on this thing for three or four hours. And I was like, well, what's different? You know, I'm the same person and not that much time has passed. Why can't I do that today? And I realized one key difference is technology. Back then... Very different. You know, back then I had a desktop computer in my dorm room, uh, but I didn't have a laptop, 
right? And I didn't have a smartphone. I had a cell phone, but it didn't have notifications. And and I just thought of, you know, now I can't even go to the grocery store and stand in line without reflexively pulling my phone out and looking at it. I'm I'm sorry, were you talking? I was playing a video <laughs> game. And I thought, Could well, you just say that again? I was, <laughs> it's, it's a good game though. But you know, I realized like, it's almost like my brain has changed from the way it used to be. It's rewired where now I'm constantly looking for this hit of information, uh, this information stream and never, and you know, when we think about worry too, you know, it used to be in human existence, right? We would worry about what was in front of us, right? Do I have food? Saber uh, tooth tiger. What are the interactions I actually had, right? That uh, I need to worry about. And now, you know, I'll find myself worrying about you know, or reading about these random conflicts within a small hobby community that I'm part of that's taking place online. I'm like, why is this in my brain at all preventing me from writing? <laughs> what is yeah. Kim Kardashian going to do tomorrow, Josh? You don't even know. Oh, my goodness. We just have so much information and distraction coming at us from so many directions. So I think it's so important that because that's true, like we can't just... And, and I'm not going to just remove myself from the world. Uh, you know, I think there are many advantages and awesome things about living in the world we live in today and the information we have at our fingertips. But because of that, we have to be even more intentional and give ourselves the tools to navigate um, through this world we live in so that we can be productive and work stress-free. Yeah, I think the trouble is that it is now attention warfare, and there are trillions of dollars. There are scientists and academics devoted to taking your attention and, and figuring out how much atten- of your attention they can get and tweaking algorithms in order to get more of it. Um, this, is not, this is not a passive activity where it's like, oops, we just took an hour of Josh's day. It's like, we know we took 482 minutes from Josh's day, but we can get it a little bit higher if only we put this at the top of his news feed. There's probably people somewhere getting a bonus because exactly. <laughs> they oh, took that, that much time out of my day. Thousands of people are getting a bonus <laughs> for doing that. So so in this moment, you're right, it is even more important to be able to uh, manage your own <laughs> your own attention and to have some strategies in order to fight against uh, some of these things that are trying to steal it. So Josh, I, I hope people write to us and tell us, you know, some of the things that you wrote down. What are, what are, is in your distraction diary? Um, what are you doing about it? What are some of the strategies that we might be able to share with some of our listeners that are maybe they didn't think of, but could really help them? So uh, take us out, Josh. I'm also thankful that you gave us your attention today <laughs> uh, amidst all the, the chaos that you, you gave these last uh, 30 to 45 minutes to to hang out with us. But if you have a question or topic idea, we would love to hear it. You can email us podcast at hellophd.com. Send us a tweet at hellophd. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform. We love getting your feedback and it helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the become a patron button or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We would appreciate the beer money and thanks so much to the ongoing support from all of our patrons. Dan, this has been a real treat to uh, hang out here with you this afternoon. Enjoy the beer. We're going to need a lot more beer money if this (laughs) becomes the the house beer. But uh, we'll see you next time, Josh. It's been fun to be back. All right, Dan. See you next time.